This is our league, and this is your league. From the 55-yard line on CFL America Radio and the Sports History Network. Stand by, 15 seconds to air. Stand by, old camera, and videotape. Ready with your opening graphics. Stand by, Howard. Here we come, Frank. Ready, Don. Stand by, audio, your opening music, and roll tape. Take tape. guys, we're in the 1984 draft. I'm a huge Cornhusker fan. I think I was just on Wikipedia one day going through, like, Husker players who had been drafted. And I see Fryer and Steinkohler. And I'm like, oh, they were both drafted in 84. And I pull up the 84 draft and I'm like, they were number one and two. Like, has this ever happened in Husker history? And then I'm thinking about it, and I'm like, that's a sweet band name. And so I was just like, all right, it's called the 1984 Draft. The 1984 Draft band members and the actual 1984 NFL draftees share a common chord. They're not big-time headliners, but still some talented players who rock the house. People always like to go to the bar and try to order the 1984 draft like it's a draft beer. Look, we're not a beverage to consume. We don't come out of a tap. We play rock and roll music and have what we all like as a name. So, well, we do have an affinity for draft beer, and it helps that we all it helps <laughs> we that do. we all like uh, football as well. So, yeah. I, I frankly love the name. We're the 1984 draft. The nineteen eighty four draft. There really was a 1984 aspect to it. George Orwell's dystopian novel, 1984, described a bleak world. Big Brother controlled everything. Orwell's central character, Winston Smith, dared to question Big Brother's power. The NFL really was kind of a Big Brother figure and, uh, you know, was just this all-encompassing sports power. In our world, there will be no love but the love of Big Brother, no laughter but the laugh of triumph over a defeated enemy. 
no art, no science, no literature, no enjoyment, but always and only Winston, there will be the thrill of power. And you know, here comes the USFL after the NFL had been unchallenged for nearly two decades and was, you know, trying to move in on its territory. Big Brother was watching, and but in this in this situation, unlike the movie, I think Big Brother was a little scared. I had been in the NFL for almost eight years with the Philadelphia Eagles and then left the Big Brother, the security blanket, to go to this new venture, pro football in the spring, the United States Football League. And I think at that time, the antagonism between the two leagues began to grow. It became a taffy pull. There was, uh, I don't like to say animosity, but there, there became a growing concern. Unlike the 74 draft, this draft would be televised. What viewers couldn't see, however, was the behind-the-scenes war for players between the rival leagues leading up to the 84 draft. We're fighting for players, and players are the very essence of professional football. If we didn't have them, we would be off-Broadway. We want to be on-Broadway. They were going to have their draft in January and play in May. And the NFL didn't have the draft until May. So you could get, you could be drafted by the USFL, <laughs> signed and gone before you ever had a chance to be drafted by the NFL. They were really trying to compete. They were really throwing around a lot of money. A lot of guys were saying, hey, yeah, uh, I'll do it. In 1984, Maryland quarterback Boomer Esiason was caught dead center in the war between the two leagues. I told Big Brother that I didn't want to play for the USFL, that I always wanted and envisioned myself as an NFL Big Brother quarterback, if you will. And my agent lambasting me for saying, don't say that, don't say that, we need leverage. And I kept saying to him, I don't want to play in the USFL, I want to play in the NFL. But many others did. Stars like Jim Kelly and Herschel Walker had already bolted to the USFL. Big Brother was not happy. In 1984, they went on a signing spree and pretty much picked the 1984 draft clean. Herschel Walker and future Hall of Famer Reggie White should have been eligible for the 84 draft, but they had been signed by the USFL as underclassmen. The USFL also stole away three Heisman Trophy winners, including Mike Rozier, who would have been a top NFL pick. Uh, Houston Oilers offered me $2.8 million for three years. Pittsburgh Mullers gave me $8 million guaranteed. So you do the math, what, what would you do? But the biggest fight was over quarterback Steve Young. The multi-talented BYU star was being hounded by both the LA Express and the Bengals. Cincinnati had the first pick in the NFL draft. They had Ken Anderson there, and Ken Anderson was a Pro Bowl type player. So Steve clearly was not gonna start if they took him, and they would take him. We were ready to sign him. In fact, Mike Brown was boarding a plane in Cincinnati to meet him in Salt Lake City to sign the deal that we would have had Steve Young as our quarterback. We made the phone call and the agent didn't answer and Steve Young didn't answer. We didn't get on the plane and found out that night that he just signed with the uh, USFL, the uh, LA Express, I believe it was. Young signed a record $40 million contract and was playing for the Express before the NFL's May draft even took place. I 
fundamentally left college to play. If you would have said, you're going to spend, you know, a year backing up, I'd be like, I don't want to do that, I don't want to do that. Not that I couldn't or wouldn't or I'd end up doing it. It just wasn't on my radar screen. I was shocked when he signed because I really thought in his heart that he wanted to be an NFL quarterback too. But it would be hard to turn down that kind of money when it's laid out in front of you. After Young signing, NFL war rooms were in a panic. Anxious GMs hurriedly sent their legions out to look at other quarterbacks. San Diego scout Red Phillips was on the case. He was searching for an eventual replacement for Dan Fouts. One of his candidates was a quarterback from West Virginia. I'm really interested uh, how strong a kid is uh, Jeff Hostetter. You mean to tell me that this kid has got a four-point average? Jeff, I don't think, is a classic passer, but he's a good passer. And the big thing, he knows who to get the ball to. He sees very, very well. He has great vision on the field. He's somewhat like Dan Fouts that we have in the fact that he does read coverages very well and he does have this good size and strength and durability factor. He's got it. He's got it. He's got it. There it is. An end zone. That's it. He popped that in real good. Jeff, congratulations on the ball game. I know it's a big win for you. San Diego Charge to be keeping their eye on you. We really, we really think you did a good job. Good luck to you. Tampa Bay needed a quarterback, too, but had traded away their first-round pick to the Bengals the year before for Jack Thompson, the throw-in Samoan. That pick became number one overall. It changed hands again a month before the draft. The Bengals, failing in their somewhat reluctant courtship of quarterback Steve Young, passed their number one pick in this year's draft onto the Patriots for a number of lower selections. The Patriots didn't want their top choice to be lured away by the USFL, so they started negotiations right away. Irving Fryer would be the number one pick, and he'd be announced and signed three weeks before draft day. And so that kind of took some of the excitement out of it in terms of draft day and all, and the anticipation uh, and, and just the explosion when it does happen, it just, it kind of took that away. Coming up, when they finally assembled in 1984, it would be a day of great drama for Boomer Esiason. Like Orwell's main character in 1984, Winston Smith, he'd be lost in a world of doubt and intrigue. was just the fifth year the NFL draft was available to television viewers. With much of the top talent gone to the USFL, it was not must-see TV. Steve Young was among the departed, leaving Maryland's Boomer Esiason as the draft's top-rated quarterback. Like Orwell's poor Winston, Boomer was watched closely. Lost and confused, he wondered where his future would be. I did not have a party, didn't have a lot of people around me. We all were expecting a phone call, you know, before noon that afternoon, saying that I was going to be the next quarterback or drafted by the, this team, that team, or whatever. Pre-draft buzz had the Giants possibly taking him at number three overall. 
to replace injury-prone Phil Sims, Or perhaps the fourth pick, where Philadelphia might take an heir apparent for Ron Jaworski. If he lasted to number seven, the Bengals, looking for a young quarterback for new coach Sam Weish, seemed like a good fit. There was one place he would not end up. Right around that spring, the team that I probably should have been the quarterback for loaded up the Mayflower moving vans and moved out of Baltimore and went to Indianapolis. And Boomer Esiason, loyal Terp that he was, said, I don't care if they draft me, I'm never going to step foot on the field for the Indianapolis Colts. For the outspoken lefty, the drama was just beginning. For the top two picks, there was very little drama. Now, this is dramatic. All right, the Patriots select Irving Fryer, wide receiver in Nebraska, first pick in the, dra- in the first round. There was no surprise in that first draft. Billy Sullivan stepping up and making it clear from the beginning that not only is Irving Fryer their selectee, but in addition, he is already signed, sealed, and delivered. Irving Fryer was the NFL's top pick only after he spurned the USFL. I remember sitting in uh, Donald Trump's office in New York, Trump Tower. They wouldn't guarantee my contract, so I told them no. And I'm like, you got all this money, man? You can't guarantee my contract? What's up? Had to be a good negotiating position for you, because obviously two leagues were bidding for your services. Oh, yeah, not, not only that, but a lot of guys had gone to the USFL, so, um, you know, the NFL wanted to keep a lot of quality athletes in the draft. He had a good, solid NFL career but that just spoke to the overall lack of depth in the draft that he would be taken first overall. Irving Fryer has certainly uh, been the top pick for several days since that April 4th trade. Now Houston is up and Seinkuler is signed and sealed and delivered. Let's now uh, hear their pick. Another Nebraskan. Guard, offensive guard, Dean Steinkuler, Nebraska. It is the first time since 1967 that the first two picks in an NFL draft to come from the same college. That's when Bubba Smith and Clinton Jones out of Michigan State went number one and number two. There's little doubt that if Mike Rozier had not signed with the USFL, the first three players taken in the 1984 draft all would have been from the same school, which had never happened before and has not happened since. Three Huskers right in a row. Bang, bang, bang. Surprise. I've been number one. Um, I don't know, Dean or Irvin would be number two, and one of them would be number three. I don't think that was the case because of what I was told by New England. I was their choice that year, so I was going to be the first pick anyway. The first two picks were quick. The rest of the day was not. The 12-round draft took 18 hours and 42 minutes to complete. This deal just made the, the preparation a little different because you're going to go through the whole thing in, in one day, so you didn't have that break. It was just a long, long day. It was the marathon draft. Marathon. I think we started at 8 o'clock in the morning or whatever, and you're going to like midnight. We had service, food, coffee throughout the day constantly. We even had a masseuse there. Bill would have people take walks around the, uh, the building, and uh, it, it was a long, long day. Draftniks in the 70s were rarely seen. By the 80s, they were being put on TV. In 1984, Mel Kuyper Jr. made his television debut. When ESPN rolled Kuyper out for the first time in 1984, 
A lot of the football people said, you know, who is he? What's he done? He's out of Michigan. Kuiper earned the on-air gig after producing his own draft guide since 1981. When that draft took place, I was 23. So you're talking about an outside linebacker who still has a major need for Kansas City. With absolutely no experience at all. On camera, none. He's a bargain for the Packers in the fourth round, no question about it. One of the steals of this draft. People used to call him Draft Nixon with um, some derision in their voice. But in this case, it was a draft Nick with um, blow-dried hair dressed like Gordon Gecko. Still some quality offensive I never paid any attention to his evaluations. I did read them. I don't think he's a talent evaluator. I think he's an information gatherer. He has taken this draft and created this cottage industry for himself. Mel has developed through the years, but he still has never made a team's pick. You didn't have to be Mel Kuyper to predict the first two selections. The fun began at number three, where speculation had the Giants either trading their pick or helping their offense. The New York Giants, first round selection. You're close. Linebacker Carl Banks of Michigan State. I had no, no clue the Giants were going to take me. Not one. That could be a situation where, where George Young is saying, well, we'll take Banks to maybe get, a, get some more interest going in a trade because Kansas City wants Banks very badly in the fifth position. So I guess we still could see a trade. There was a lot of speculation about the Giants' pick, whether they would trade. You went for a linebacker, and yet you seem to be a team filled with linebackers. Sam, it was simply a case of taking the best player available at this time. I thought the linebacking core was still pretty good. It was myself, Lawrence Taylor, Brad Van Pelt, and Brian Kelly. You know, I was not the coach, but the coach felt that he needed some youth. There were a lot of hoots from upstairs. They weren't too thrilled with the pick. Does that concern you at all? I've heard them a lot more disappointed. And then people started to say, Dude, I don't know how you're going to get on the field. Why did they draft you? Phil, what's your opinion so far about the Giants' first pick? You know, basically, it's the same position we were in the year we drafted Lawrence Taylor, and I don't think we did too bad that year. Uh, a lot of people, we wanted to run him back that year. A lot of people wanted us to pick Freeman McNeil. Instead, we picked uh, Lawrence Taylor, so I think we did the right thing then, and I believe we did the right thing for the team now by picking, you know, Carl Banks, the linebacker. After Banks, the Eagles took Kenny Jackson at four, Kansas City took Bill Moss at five. Boomer continued to wait. Step to the side. Coming up on Caught in the Draft. Cincinnati, Cincinnati Bengals. Cincinnati Bengals, first round choice. I figure that it's going to be my turn. This one goes out to my dad, and it goes out to Irving Fryer and Dean Steinkuhler and Mike Rozier and any Husker who's ever made it. It's really kind of neat to hear how Joe has incorporated his love of football in some lyrics. Scarlet and cream forever. Got a Steinkuhler slipped in any lyrics or something? <laughs> it's really hard to rhyme Steinkuhler with something. <laughs> but we're working on it. We're working on it. <laughs> Friar's easy to rhyme. You got Friar in anything? No, I don't. No. Which is sad, you know? We're the 84 draft, and we actually don't mention the members of the 84 draft class in any <laughs> of the songs. I don't know what the devil we're going to do with him. He's not, he, he ain't got enough lead in his pants. You get any more weight on him, you're going to have him fat. 
Draft day is like Christmas day for scouts like San Diego's Red Phillips. Months of hard work finally get put to use. Phillips liked quarterback Jeff Hostetler as a possible heir apparent to Dan Fouts. But with Boomer now available, would they be tempted at number six? San Diego also had needs on defense, and All-American linebacker Wilbur Marshall, like Boomer, had unexpectedly fallen. He was the best linebacker I've ever seen play. There hasn't been a better striker of a, of, of a ball carrier than Wilbur Marshall. Very physical, very aggressive. What they find you for now, you hit too hard. You know, you read the magazines and you see the projections. And some people are projecting Wilbur to go first. I know that San Diego is very high on Marshall. Coriel coached him down at the Senior Bowl and, and has said since then that he didn't think Marshall would be there with this choice. San Diego Chargers, first round selection. Mossy Cade, defensive back, University of Texas. Next up, Cincinnati Bengals. About to be trapped in his Orwellian nightmare, Boomer waited for the phone call. But the Bengals, with their first of three first-round picks, passed on him in favor of defense. Like San Diego, they too passed on Wilbur Marshall. Cincinnati Bengals, first-round choice. Ricky Hundley, linebacker, Arizona. He's, he's the kid Next, that doesn't have an agent as of last the week. The Colts. Which is Paul Brown's type of guy. I mean, there are a lot of fancy names there, but he'll take the guy without the agent. Signing players in those days was tough because they always had that option. Hey, I got this other league laying out there, you know. Money and signability is a big factor in this 1984 NFL draft. Marshall just may have priced himself out of the market. It was a relief and it was exciting, but at the same time, it was like, oh, Cincinnati? <laughs> because, you know, Cincinnati had this stigma of not being a team that pay well uh, for high draft picks. You know, the Bengals originally had the number one pick, all the talk that they weren't even going to come close to numbers about Steve Young. Are you confident that you and the Bengals can get together pretty quickly on a deal? Um, I don't know. I just will have to see when I get there. And the next step is to go get on the plane and get out to Cincinnati. Ironically, Hunley never played a down in Tiger Stripes. He was traded to Denver after failing to reach a contract agreement. As the top 10 wrapped up, Boomer and Marshall swayed in a breeze of doubt. As far as the players who are still available, we have two wild cards still there, Boomer Esiason and Wilbur Marshall. It'll be interesting to see if Chicago takes a Wilbur Marshall needing an outside linebacker there. We thought he was dropping because the fear that he had signed in the other league, not ability. We had Marshall as the fourth or fifth best player on our board. How far would Wilbur Marshall slide because of everyone knowing what kind of money he was asking for? And uh, his agent must be sweating it out right now, too, because uh, every pick he's costing him perhaps a little more money. We expected Wilbur not to be there at the 11th pick. Uh, we expected him to go higher. We knew immediately that he was our guy. Chicago Bears, first round selection, linebacker, Florida, Wilbur Marshall. It is shocking uh, that he fell that far. Like Marshall, Boomer was a victim of dollars and cents in an uncertain time. Where Boomer is gonna go right now, uh, he's gonna slide down fairly far. He might even end up with you know Cincinnati with a 16th choice. It'll be interesting to see if they go for Boomer Esiason. I think that $40 million deal that Steve Young signed with Little Brother made Big Brother very nervous. 
We shall squeeze you empty, and then we shall fill you with ourselves. <laughs> At number 16, Cincinnati had its second pick of the first round. Boomer was ready to be a Bengal. Cincinnati Bengals select on the first round Pete Cope, defensive end, Maryland. I was sitting there going, I, the Bengals drafted a defensive lineman from my own team. I couldn't believe it. The draft room has cover with boards. And you always have one section, you kind of box it off and you say, when the draft's over, we want to have these players. And Boomer's name was in that box. And so every time you pass him up as a head coach, I'm saying to myself, well, we may, you know, we, that may have been it. We may have lost him. I really had no idea what was going on. My agent was trying to calm me down. And I'm saying, I spent all that time with Sam Weish and this guy is not picking me. I can't believe this. The buzzing is starting. Where's Boomer? You know, it's, it's going to be fun to see how far he's going to drop. Not fun for him. I mean, he's, he's, I'm sure he's sweating it. You know, where I'm looking at this board, and, and where is Boomer Sison going to go? Top-rated quarterback. Draft. While the experts were left scratching their heads, Boomer was left watching the picks go by. I was not a drug taker. I was not somebody who was a drunk. I was committed to, you know, being in good shape, taking care of myself. And I'm wondering what in the world happened. Misevaluations on quarterbacks have been, you know, front and center really for a long time in the NFL. He's going to be the steal of this draft. There's no question about that wherever he goes now. He should have never have lasted this long. He's an outstanding prospect, a great quarterback who will turn out to be this year's Dan Marino. I think he could probably last right now down here to Washington or possibly Cincinnati could grab him with the 28th choice. Washington did not take Boomer at 27, giving Cincinnati yet another opportunity to grab their quarterback of the future. Yeah, there was anxiety. We were pacing the room back and forth and just waiting when, oh, oh, he didn't take him. All right, we got one more under our belt, one more turn. I figure that it's going to be my turn, right? I mean, sooner or later, somebody, you know, at that point in time, I think I was probably on my knees praying to the gods, saying, will somebody please take me? I mean, I don't know what's going on here. Coming up on Caught in the Draft. From that moment on, it was all going to be about how I dropped and, and why I dropped. What happens in room 101 is the worst thing in the world. In all drafts, viewers are fascinated, almost filled with guilty pleasure when a projected top pick falls. If you waited to be selected in the 60s and 70s, you did so from far away. In 1984, the top pick was on hand, but there was no dreaded chamber yet called the green room. So going to room 101. Not room 101. With the uh, first selection in the 2005 NFL draft, the San Francisco 49ers select Alex Smith, quarterback, Utah. Dreams dashed and quarantined in that green room. Aaron Rodgers dropped from first to 24th. Ronnie Brown, Braylon Edwards, Cedric Benson, Parnell Williams, Adam Jones, Troy Williamson. Whenever you have a guy dropping down like that, I wouldn't want to beat it into the ground because, I mean, after a while, you don't want to make the guy cry, yeah. 
I felt really, really bad for Aaron, you know, and I had been since retired from the NFL, and I sat there and I watched that, and I thought of myself. Alfonso Carriker. David Lewis. Clyde Duncan. Keith Miller. Washington State. Millard. Fortunately, there was no green room for Boomer Esiason. He was back on campus in Maryland, agonizing, as the Bengals made their pick at 28. Cincinnati's selection to conclude the first round is Brian Blados, tackle from North Carolina. And the first round ends, and it's still no Boomer. I am pissed. There, there's no words really to describe the level of embarrassment, indignity, and just overall uh, lack of understanding of really what happened to me. You know, every time Cincinnati has come up, sometimes we've been on the air at the time and sometimes we've been off, we've been in New York or something, we're yelling, this is the time they're gonna pick Boomer. They passed on him three times, so they not have a strong opinion of Boomer Esiason. You didn't know. So now the 38th pick is coming up and I'm just like, and it's the Bengals. And I'm like, I don't know, if I don't get picked here, I guess I'm never going to Cincinnati. They must have really hated me. I made the phone call because it was a player that had slipped in the draft. We think we had a number one pick. We were going to get him in the second if he was healthy. And he was, and mad. And says, hey, boom, uh, Sam Weiss here. Like, you know, nothing's going on. I'm like, hey, hey, coach, what's up? You know, you didn't steal any hubcaps in the parking lot again, did you? You know, whatever, something. Nothing happened last night we don't know about that everybody else found out about. Because... Would you like to be a Bengal? I said, at this point, I'd like to be anything. <laughs> Comrades, attention! Here is glorious news! The suspense is now over involving Boomer Esiason. He has been selected here in the second round. In fact, 10 selections into the second round, and it has come with the Cincinnati Bengals. It was relieving, but I knew that from that moment on, I was going to have to go in front of the media and... It was all going to be about how I dropped and, and why I dropped. If you could have seen the look on Boomer's face, you had a feel for the guy. He looked like you know, he'd been locked in a room for an hour with Lawrence Taylor or something. I mean, really, it looked like he just delivered a child. I mean, the phone rang about 50 times this morning. Every time I thought it was somebody else, you know, I kind of feel embarrassed and a little bit like a jerk to myself of sitting there waiting like an idiot. Some of the teams that passed over quarterbacks, and not, not just myself, but the other quarterbacks that are draft, it's going to be nuts. It was one of those drafts where you look back and you say, boy, uh, for the Cincinnati Bengals uh, to get Boomer Esiason as your fourth pick, which was the second round, it was pretty amazing. It took even longer for the Giants to finally select Jeff Hostetler. Thomas Benson. Jim Sweeney. Chris Kolodziski. Well, this certainly was not a big draft for quarterbacks, as we've pointed out. It was in the third round before another quarterback was taken. Jeff Hostetler of West Virginia was the 59th player overall taken in this draft. But no quarterback impacted the draft more than Steve Young. The USFL renegade was well aware of how he changed everything. He also knew that the USFL wouldn't last. I think the idea that we could force a merger was really in everyone's mind. Everyone wanted to be in the NFL. Nobody was saying, oh, I'm good here forever. You know, I think people had that in your mind and, and, and hoped for that. So the NFL draft, certainly everybody was paying attention to it. I saw where Boomer Siason was, and Boomer and I have joked about this for 
30 years too about that, that that's where he ended up because I I went to Los Angeles and he ended up in, in Cincinnati. I directly hold Steve uh, uh, Young responsible for that, <laughs> you know, because he was the one that could have been the Bengal quarterback and maybe should have been. And actually, when I think back about it, I should probably just say, you know, I'd be very thankful that I had the opportunity. But when you have such high expectations for yourself and you're being told day in and day out that you're going to be a high round draft pick and you're not, there's no way that you can mask the disappointment that you feel on a particular day like that. Things will happen to you here from which you could not recover if you lived a thousand years. What happens to you here is forever. Coming up, Esiason's ordeal was over, but many others were still under the watchful eye of Big Brother. The Chicago Bears had already drafted Wilbur Marshall. Their second pick was another linebacker. Ron Rivera, linebacker, California. Good pick. I love it. Ron Rivera helped the Bears win the Super Bowl in 1985. And in 2013, he was named AP NFL Coach of the Year. Make it work. Make it work. Chicago also drafted Butkus in that 1984 draft. Not Dick but another Illinois linebacker who just happened to be Dick's nephew. You know, Mark Buckus was like a legacy pick. You know, it was like Animal House when Flounder's name comes up on the screen and everybody screams. And then they say, well, but his brother was a member of the fraternity. Okay, he's in. (laughs) Another draft day family affair concerned the Cannons. Billy Cannon Sr. was an LSU Heisman winning running back and the first pick in the 1960 draft. His son, Billy Jr., was a tough Texas A&M linebacker picked by the Cowboys in the first round in 1984. While Billy Sr. was the AFL Rookie of the Year, Billy Jr.'s season was far different. In just his eighth game, he aggravated a spinal injury on this tackle against the Saints. Billy Cannon Jr., never played again. It's a crying shame what happened to him. I definitely remember how great a player he was, and and, uh, we all thought he'd have a fabulous career. When the Cowboys chose Cannon, who Washington coveted, GM Bobby Beathard traded his pick to the Giants. It's usually hard to trade with somebody in your division. Uh, If you make the trade, then you sit back and think, wait a minute, if they made a trade with us, did we screw up? Did they get something really good? The Redskins were known for making bold moves. They took a chance on a little-known quarterback and minor league pitcher late in the third round. UCLA had this quarterback named Jay Schrader, who had gone off and played minor league baseball, hadn't done as well as he'd hoped, and hadn't thrown a pass in college since 1980. You know, how good is this guy going to be? He's got really could play baseball, may have wanted to play baseball, but he wound up wanting to play football, and we drafted him. Washington then took Jay Schroeder. You may not remember the name, and then again, you may remember the name. Redskins just drafted Jay Schroeder 
Uh, and we'll be right back after this commercial break because they didn't, they didn't have anything. They had nothing on me. He hadn't had a stellar career at UCLA. I got carried away a little on his physical skills. He's a good guy and all that, but I just don't think he had the personality to lead a team. Finding talented leaders in the final round takes a wild stab and a lot of luck. No one loved to take chances more than Cowboy General Manager Tex Schramm, especially when it came to acquiring speed. It was the 12th round, and it was like, oh, who are we going to take? And, and, and Tex being the the ringmaster, you know, he was Barnum and Bailey uh, of football, and it's like, well, what can I do to create a splash? Let's draft Carl Lewis. The Cowboys selected Lewis at 344, three picks away from Mr. Irrelevant. Dallas hoped the gold medal sprinter would be just like Olympic champion Bullet Bob Hayes, who the Cowboys drafted 20 years earlier. Many great track names have sought football fame. But Bob Hayes is a football player who just happens to be the world's fastest living human. The difference here was that Bob Hayes really was a football player. Carl had no interest in playing football. I mean, at that time, he was such a big star, and he could go overseas and compete in track meets and make a lot more money than he could make as a 12th-round draft choice in the NFL. And uh, had he played, I think he'd have lasted about a day. Another Olympian, shot putter Michael Carter, proved to be a great pick, however. The SMU nose tackle was taken by San Francisco in the fifth round and became an all-pro. Carter, linebacker Todd Shell, and safety Jeff Fuller helped make the 49ers champions eight months later. Despite picking 24th, the 49ers also got Ohio State tight end John Frank and five-time Pro Bowl guard Guy McIntyre. Back to Craig, Montana rolling out to his right, throws, completes it to McIntyre. He's down to the one, he fights for the end zone, touchdown 49ers. But of all the 84 draftees, none matched the success of Michael Carter. Is Michael Carter the last Olympian to get drafted, make any kind of an impact? I think he might be. Then he goes to the LA Olympics, finishes second in the shot put, gets a silver medal, and five months later, he's winning the Lombardi Trophy and getting a ring. I mean, that's an unbelievable stretch for an athlete. I mean, I'm not sure we're ever going to see something like that happen again. Still to come, Steve Young's journey takes an unforeseen turn. He becomes another Orwellian victim who ultimately succumbs to Big Brother. Winston, do not imagine that you will save yourself. No one who has once gone astray is ever spared. Even if we chose to let you live out your life, you would never escape from us. Imagine a boot stamping on a human face forever. <laughs> you can understand the guy being a little bit bitter about how things had worked out. Didn't really get on the field until he was 30 years old. And he basically lost half of his career.
Now, you in turn uh, are coming up with a supplemental draft, both of USFL players and Canadian Football League players. Yes, we'll have that three rounds. That will be in uh, probably June. One month after the NFL draft, the league held the supplemental draft, laying claim to players in the USFL. We pretty much knew that it wasn't going to last. We saw the, how the operations were going, and, yeah, and then now we, we expected, well, if and when this league, league folds, we got to be prepared. How are we going to get these players? Just didn't want to go out and say, they're all free agents, because now the market's going to drive way up to the sky. Free agency was still a decade away. The NFL was not yet ready to open that can of worms. They were the bully on the block. But I'm sure there was the feeling that I mean, we're the NFL, we can do anything we want, we rule the world. I think it just wound up being a matter of what's the smoothest way to bring these players into the league without starting an all-out bidding war. Subsequently, there was the supplemental draft, of which you were very much... Don't, uh, I, might, I might have to spit if you say that again. When Steve Young signed with the USFL, he had hoped for a merger of leagues. Worst-case scenario in his mind? The USFL folds, and he becomes a free agent for NFL teams to bid on. The idea that there was a supplemental draft never even crossed my mind, ever. It don't mean nothing. It really don't. It really don't. Looking back, maybe if I would have known that that was going to happen, it might have... I don't know if it might have changed it enough. It was, But when it did happen, it was, I was crestfallen about it. Tampa needed a quarterback when they traded their first-round pick in the May draft to Cincinnati for Jack Thompson. That pick ended up being number one overall. Now, in a twist of fate, they held the number one pick in the supplemental draft, and Steve Young was available. It was between him and Reggie White, and we already had Leroy Selman. But we thought, if we uh, match this guy up with Selman, then nobody's going to be able to block us. But then we also thought, hey, we don't have a quarterback here. So we went with Steve Young. I certainly didn't watch it or understand that it was happening. I didn't watch it live or, you know, I, I was just told. It wasn't, oh, I'm going to be a Tampa Bay Buccaneer. I mean, it was just like, oh, geez, now I've got to deal with the reality that if something goes bad, I can't just pick my team. With the USFL on life support, Young jumped to the NFL in 1985. But he was just 3 and 16 as the Buccaneers starter over the next two years and was on the move again when Tampa traded him to San Francisco. And Steve was consigned to the very thing that he had tried to avoid as he entered football in 1984, which is sitting behind a hero and an icon who was successful. Young's winding NFL road started in the supplemental draft. He was not the only one. After Heisman Trophy winner Mike Rozier went second to Houston, the Giants had a decision to make, similar to when they opted for defense over offense in the NFL draft. Two future Hall of Famers, one on each side of the ball, were available. Gary Zimmerman was there. I know I had a particular interest in Reggie White, too. I tried to put my two cents in, but we wound up taking Zimmerman. The rest of the NFL should be thankful the Giants whiffed and missed teaming Reggie White with Lawrence Taylor. Imagine if the Giants play what if. Imagine if they had taken Reggie White instead of Zimmerman. Holy cow. 
had been illegal. Would have been something special. It would be incredible. It would absolutely be incredible. Belichick probably would have had a ball with that. I mean, it's just mind-boggling to think what would have happened if they'd taken Reggie instead of Zimmerman, who didn't want to play in New York and force him to trade into the Vikings. The guy they picked never played for the Giants, while White went on to torment the team that passed on him for the rest of the decade. Both White and Young eventually won Super Bowls to top off their Hall of Fame careers. Someone take the money off my back, please! Not part of the 1984 NFL draft, they still stand at the head of the class of 84. For those caught in the actual NFL draft, the results were mixed. To summarize this, the 49th NFL player draft, it will not go down as one of the more memorable moments in sports. Former football stars in their neighborhood bars. There's one thing that kind of reminds me of this band, and that's the fact that, okay, just the 84 NFL draft. In that entire draft class, not a single member is in the Hall of Fame currently. And neither are we. And neither are we. <laughs> but it's, it's kind of like that little engine that could mentality. Because you look down that list, and there are some great players. Ernest Biner is a good example. Guy just worked his tail off. I feel like that's what we do. We work hard. Um, we may not be the biggest band in the world, and we may not be the most famous, but we're doing what we love. And, you know, I think that that makes it a pretty good comparison to, to what happened back here. We'd like to have a tremendous toast to our draft picks and a great afternoon here for ESPN. How about it, guys? Huh? Yeah. Yeah.